In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A kingdom. A universal kingdom to be established in God's name. That is the pretension of the so-called Islamic State, which has designated itself as a caliphate, and to which, if it is a true caliphate, the worldwide community of Muslims would owe obedience. It has established itself by main force and is willing to perpetrate the most outrageous acts of violence in pursuit of establishing what they regard as God's kingdom. Is this how God's kingdom is to be established? Christ himself preached that the kingdom of heaven is absolutely universal. He used the image of the great tree in which all of the birds of the air make their nest. This universality had already been foreshadowed in the days of Israel. How did Christ propose to establish this universal kingdom? Didn't he proclaim that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and that the violent take it by force? And isn't this in accord with the psalm, which says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for battle, who prepares my fingers for war. Many would-be messiahs of the early Second Temple period took this interpretation, that the establishment of God's kingdom would be earthly and territorial. This led some of them to lead insurrections against the Roman Empire. Are we then to say that Christ wanted his kingdom established by force? On the contrary, when Peter cut off the ear of the slave of the high priest, Christ rebuked him. He said, put your sword in its sheath. As it is, Christ says, my kingdom is not of this world. Rather, it is a kingdom of truth, as he says in today's gospel. The liturgy glosses the nature of Christ's kingdom in its solemn preface today as an eternal and universal kingdom, a kingdom of truth and life, a kingdom of holiness and grace, a kingdom of justice, love, and peace. It is a kingdom which must be established universally in our lives. My brothers and sisters, this kingdom will not be established except through the most complete warfare. St. Paul reminds us, we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That is to say, our fight is spiritual, not physical. That is why Paul tells us to fight with spiritual weapons. It is a fight which has us poised between two kingdoms, a kingdom of truth and life, and a kingdom of sin and death. By bringing ourselves under Christ's dominion, we become subjects of his kingdom. 
By sin, we become subjects of the kingdom of death and the devil. It is here that Christ declared that he came to bring not peace, but the sword, the burning sword of divine charity, which will destroy the root of sin in our lives. For the Christian will not enter fully into the peace of God's kingdom, except by unremitting warfare against vice and sin. It is by this alone that God's kingdom is progressively established in each of us, in each of our souls, in its fullness. Christ challenged us to become perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect. That's the goal of the Christian life. Christ's command to perfection is a promise that he will not leave any corner of our lives still enslaved to sin. In other words, it is a promise that he will extend his kingdom to our entire lives. For Christ's kingdom is a universal kingdom, and in order that it be universal, it must extend to every aspect of our lives. This is why Christ proposes to save us, you could say, extensively and intensively from our sins. Not only does Christ want to save us at every moment so that we never do anything but God's will at every moment, but also so that at every moment we do so with the maximal amount of love for God. Since his command to perfection is a promise of rescue for us, it is also a pledge of his unfailing and superabundant grace towards us to help us to achieve holiness in our lives. How then can we extend the reign of Christ in our lives? Here are three suggestions. The first would be to take up, to continue the practice of praying before and after the ordinary tasks of our lives. God's will is not too mysterious and inaccessible for us. It is something very near to us, on our lips and in our hearts, the scripture says. We have only to do it. If we pray for God's assistance, we will not only achieve that assistance, but we will also come to the acknowledgement and the realization that God accompanies us in the moments of our lives. A second suggestion is that we should pray explicitly for an enemy of ours. My brother, St. Thomas Aquinas, actually wrote that our obligation to pray for our enemies is a general obligation. It's not an obligation that we have in specific under the pain of sin. Rather, when we choose to go beyond, to be so generous in our love as to specifically pray for an enemy of ours, we achieve a greater degree of love. Doesn't this distinguish Christ's kingdom from many of the supposed kingdoms, especially many of the supposed spiritual kingdoms which others have tried to establish? Third, we should continue or establish a practice of frequent confession. After all, the purpose isn't just that we extend Christ's reign to every aspect of our lives, but that we do so progressively more and more deeply. Charity is something which can be lived more or less intensely. It's something like a color which exists in greater intensity or in less. And just because we 
have a greater degree of love of God. Just because we have it doesn't mean that we use it. And so we need to go over our lives, purify our motives, and return with greater love. And that will bring us and drive us on and on to greater love of God. Brothers and sisters, we rejoice today that Christ is king, for he is a kindly and benevolent king. He is the king of hearts who brings his reign to our souls and peace. Though earthly kingdoms threaten us, we need not fear, for his kingship is full, absolute, and unyielding. Of old, his kingdom was prophesied through the prophets. Prophesied as a kingdom that would bring to naught all of the false nations. The prophet Daniel spoke of it, of Christ's kingdom, in these words, saying, In the lifetime of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed or delivered up to another people. Rather, it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and put an end to them, and it shall stand forever. As the liturgical year draws to a close, the church's readings become more and more apocalyptic. And it's fitting that the Feast of Christ the King was moved to the final Sunday of ordinary time, for these two things coincide. The second coming of Christ is when his kingdom will be definitively and perfectly established. Then comes the end, St. Paul says when he hands over the kingdom to his God and Father, when he has destroyed every sovereignty and every authority and every power, he will subject all to God the Father, so that God may be all in all. May it be so in us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.